We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host Nick Filato. Coming to you after a Giants victory. That's right. They've now won seven of nine games this season. Who would have thought? Look, it wasn't a pretty win. It wasn't their most pretty win, I should say. I, there were pretty moments in this game, right? And there was no... Look, it wasn't the prettiest win. We didn't come out and just blow out the Texans, which some people expected them to do. But to be fair, it's not like the Eagles blew out the Texans two weeks ago, right? It's a similar type of situation, though. The Giants were never worrying about winning this game. At least I wasn't as a fan. It's the first game this season where I did not at one point worry about the Giants losing. Even when the Texans drove for their second touchdown, even when they were driving again at the end, I did not at any point really worry about losing this game. And that's really the first time this season I can say that. So for me, it is a step forward, right? It's like... This is a moment. Yeah, we didn't get the blowout 30 point win, 20 point win, whatever, double possession. I get it. I totally understand. But they ended up winning by 11 points. And again, at no point did I feel like the Giants are going to lose this game, Nick. And that's why I feel like it was a nice step in the right direction. Did they do it in an interesting way? Some people are second guessing, oh, why are they so run heavy? And we'll look at that on the film, obviously. But, you know, for me, man, I'm just happy because now we're at the point, Nick, where we have these trap games like the Texans, which is, you know, it's a total trap game. The line started its whatever it was, dropped all the way down to four, moved back up to five. I mean, Vegas was telling you home team six and two against a one six and one team. And they're still being like, grab the Texans. Look how obvious this line is. And despite it being a trap game, Giants come out and win this game. And that's kind of the team they are now. They're not a team that's going to be like I was watching some of these bad teams that are like in the fringe this this week. Uh. This week, Nick, the fringe this year, I should say, watching them this week. And I noticed some of them lost these games they needed to win. Some of them dropped to like three and six or, you know, the Bears, for example, had a little bit faint playoff hope with the field type. Now they're out of it. Teams like that. And so the Giants are just clearly, in my mind now, not one of those teams. They've separated themselves into a different pack. Does that mean they're in the Super Bowl contender pack? Maybe, maybe not yet. But they're at least in the pack that wins the games they're supposed to. And that means something. It definitely means something. And the Giants scored 10 play drive on, on the first drive of the game on offense. But think about their third and fourth drive, I believe it was, right? And their second drive was a, was a three and out. And then the third and fourth drive, they're on the opposite side of the field. They're in Houston's territory. And they just shoot themselves in the foot with the Jack Anderson false start on fourth and one. 
And then the Wandell Robinson, I'm going to try to outrun everybody. Just crazy play where he lost five yards that set up a third down sack that knocked the Giants out of Graham Gano field goal range. Like those are two drives that must have drove Brian Dable, and we saw it on the broadcast, up the wall, completely irate, right? But the Giants are still like, I, I was never feared the fact that they were going to lose this game. They still played like crap at spurts in this game. And we're still like, they have a handle on the game. And then you also have the defense doing what they did, forcing freaking turnovers. I don't know how sustainable that is, but man, that is one opportunistic unit. Yeah. And as you've said for multiple weeks now, Nick, it's, it was only, it was not a matter of when it was a matter. I'm sorry. It was not a matter of if it was a matter of when Dane Belton was going to get an interception this season. Yeah. He may get more. But he got his first interception on a ball that obviously Davis Mills shouldn't have thrown. I mean, you don't challenge. I mean, the safety was way too close to throw that, make that throw. At least if you're Davis Mills, you can't fit it into that window. I don't know many quarterbacks who could. It was a he, double move, too. Right. Man. Like, and it was against Dory Jackson. So, you know, like the Texans like to just double move. If it's cover one, just look right. off the safety. And if you watch Davis Mills and the all 22 will confirm this. And I'm just going off what I saw on broadcast. Like there was pressure because the Giants were just bringing pressure like a lot, like they cannot block Dexter Lawrence whatsoever at all. And David Mills, like looked at Dane Belton and then just went right to the double move and just waited and waited and then threw the ball. Dane Belton it must've been one of the easier interceptions right. he's going to have in the NFL from the, from a single high spot. It has to be one of the easiest interceptions. He's come close a lot. We talked about the one pick six he would have had where Jihad Ward got the tip pass. He had that earlier one in the season where he just came, it was a little wide, man. He's around the ball a lot. I, I think that's gotta be a good sign for him as a young potential building block piece for the giants. Obviously, this game, like you said, there were some moments where it looks like the Giants kind of regressed a bit or played in play up to their standards. But overall, man, again, like I said, I just didn't really feel like there was at any point I was worried about losing this football game. That doesn't mean they maximize all their opportunities or anything like that. Um, and again, you know, a big part of this to me, at least, was the individual play of Darius Slayton on that one touchdown, because that was a game changing play. We don't get explosive plays. We talked about earlier this week. The Giants are what were entered this what dead last in explosive plays yes. right yeah dead last in explosive plays majority of those vast majority was just run plays with saquon barkley or daniel jones and today they got an explosive play in the past game and let's be honest i mean darius slayton ran the whip route he was open for one, at least two to three seconds before the ball was thrown and that's not to say jones made a mistake i mean you could maybe get that ball there with better anticipation but the pressure was there and, and i think he did a good job at least of getting the ball out there into an area where slayton could catch the football but after that, man, I mean, the reason I consider that a game-changing play, the reason I consider that a game-changing individual play is because he eliminated multiple angles on that play, on that post-catch. I mean, he takes the sideline route and the option to kind of try to break away, and you kind of, it felt to me like there was a different level acceleration that he put on display on that play than I've seen from him this season, last season, really since 2019. That was an, that, I don't even know, honestly, that reminded me of play he had at our, our, um, at Auburn in college where he caught like a little kind of screen. It, it wasn't the same type of play. It wasn't a flat pass, but it was a little screen out there. And he kind of broke away and housed it or along the left sideline. If I remember, if I'm remembering this play at Auburn correctly. And that was the play that really stood out to me when I was watching his tape as a, uh, when he was drafted, I was like, damn, he has that level acceleration second gear as the breakaway speed type trait. And that's what he showed there. I mean, the safe, there were two defensive backs who should have made the play and stopped that from being a touchdown. And yet he scores a touchdown on that play. And that prevents them from having to bog down in the red zone. Potentially that prevents them from having to maybe go for a field goal or go for it on fourth and miss it. That is an individual play that he made, and that wasn't his only one. He created a lot of separation on his catch earlier in the game, and then he created a lot of separation on a play later in the game that Daniel Jones just threw behind him and missed him on from a ball placement standpoint. 
Thankfully, only Daniel Jones only missed the game, at least ball placement wise. But those are three big plays where he creates consistent separation and also displays that post catch acceleration, that second gear. So I was really impressed with Darius Slayton. And at this point, Nick, I'm now turning the question over to we've talked about. Um, sorry, we've talked about Julian Love, Dexter Lawrence. Andrew Thomas, Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, all five of those guys we've discussed at least at one point when it comes to contract extensions and re-signing their own. We really didn't mention the name Darius Slayton a lot when we were talking about, you know, what's going to happen with this team after the season. But I think about it now, man, and I really have to push Darius Slayton up the list for a multitude of reasons. One, they can probably get him pretty cheap based on his career trajectory and his career arc. Two, he has the rapport with the quarterback already there. If they let him go, they have to bring in new guys and try to restart the, the rapport. Three, he's only 25 years old and has traits that I really like and that he's now displaying, and he's playing at a really high level. I'm pushing him up my board, Nick. I'm really excited about what I'm seeing from Darius Slayton right now. I put out a tweet today. I don't. Th I think you have at least seven, maybe ten teams that don't have a wide receiver playing as well as Darius Slayton's playing right now. From the char, I mean, all the teams I put out there, but from the Chargers to the Bears to the Ravens, the list goes on. There's about seven to ten teams that don't have a wide receiver playing at this level, and so that was kind of to me the big takeaway. They're getting big plays from this kid. Yeah, Darius Slayton is playing really well in terms of the longevity of him being here. He's so far down the pecking order. Like, I agree with you. I think it should be investigated, especially if it is a cheap deal, which I would imagine it would be. But I mean, you're, you you got to focus on Daniel Jones. You got to focus on Saquon Barkley, Dexter Lawrence, who you're, who will be on his fifth year option, but he's still going to be in that conversation. Andrew Thomas at the end of the year for an extension, Julian Love. Like there are a lot of players to worry about, but Overall, I would like for him to be here because he's playing himself into that role. But I understand why people never really considered him in that manner because he was buried on the depth chart heading into the season. And this is more of a necessity is the reason why while he's playing. It's not necessarily like they just absolutely loved him when they got here because we saw him not play for so long. But three catches for 95 yards and he had two explosive plays, man. I mean, the 54 yard touchdown, which we can go over a little bit later. I love that play call, by the way, against the Blitz pre-snap too high shell that the uh, Texans were showing, but also on the first drive, you had, I think a 36 yard catch as well. That's an explosive play. And it was built off of the play action freaking pass, man. And that's just, if there's anything to take away from this game, we, we hoped we would see a more, I think evolved true passing attack from this, from this giants team. We didn't necessarily saw that. We just saw, Hey, Houston sucks against the run. They're 32nd in the league. We're going to run the football. We're going to bring eight offensive linemen, seven offensive linemen out on the field, and we're going to run the ball down your throat. Saquon Barkley had a career high, Dan, in carries, and he just kept feeding this dude. And what that do? That opened up the play-action passing attack. And some of the better passes from Daniel Jones, the Lawrence Cager touchdown, the Darius Slayton 36-yard pass, they were all off the play action. So again, it just kind of goes to show you how important Saquon Barkley and this rushing attack is, which is very varied as well, which is something I absolutely love. The fact that they can attack you outside zone, duo, power gap, counter, anything. And they, they've kind of proven that throughout the season. Yeah, you nailed it. And I think with Darius Slayton, just to just to wrap that one up, he would have been the first Giants receiver to have an 100-yard game this season, which is a shame that he wasn't able to. Um, but, you know, Jones missed him behind. It was well, Jones only off-target throws. So I want to be clear about that. But the ball was off-target, and otherwise Slayton created a credible amount of separation on that play and did an excellent job to get open. Would have been a 100-yard game. And on the flip side of that, I think while it was at a necessity for the staff, Nick, 
maybe that just shouldn't have been the case, right? We can at least admit that now. We, not everything. We're not here to say everything this giant stuff does is amazing. Everything they don't do is is the worst. Like this is not. No one can be perfect as a coaching staff, right? No one can be perfect as a set of coaches. And I think ultimately they. I'm not gonna say they made a mistake, but maybe they're they probably even themselves would be like, yeah, maybe we want to have that one back when it comes to not playing Darius Slayton earlier this year, because maybe it was partially the injuries. I remember he was banged up in camp a lot in the preseason as well. Some early drops could have clouded their opinion. You can tell the staff isn't a fan of drops. I mean, look, Kenny Galladay was benched because of a drop today. The first ball that he quote unquote dropped, in my opinion, was wide and in front of him. I don't consider that a drop, but whatever. Maybe you can catch that. The second one was a flat out drop and it was a momentum killing drop. It was a drive killing drop when they're trying to get the two minute offense going. It was perfectly in stride with velocity in his, you know, in the perfect spot to catch the football. And then he was just benched. So maybe that played a role in Darius Slayton not playing much early in the season, but it's not out of necessity now to me. To me, he is playing like one of the best players on this offense. And I think it's pretty clear when you watch the tape week after week at this point. And so maybe they felt like it was necessity when they put him in, but I'm sure that the coaching staff may not feel that way anymore. Hey, he keeps doing what he did today. He's going to keep earning playing time. And the Giants need anybody who can catch balls and do things like this. Like this is obviously the highest upside wide receiver right now. I think Wandell Robinson can eventually take that. And I still even think, and I'll confirm it on the All-22, what Wanda Robinson does operating over the middle of the field that he gets so much attention and so much bracket type of coverage. Cause a lot of these teams are at least over the last two weeks in Seattle, that safety, anybody who crosses the middle of the field is going to take. And then there's always somebody on Wandell and it feels like that creates one-on-one matchups from the number one and the number two receiver in these three by one sets. But Darius Slayton, man, like that, post catch run up the sideline great play by tanner hudson by the way throwing yes. that block on the backside over route like i absolutely love that play from a from a scheme standpoint because yeah we didn't see a more developed passing attack from mike kafka but that was a third and nine play where the texans were in a too high defense the giants came out in a three by one set and they ran wandale robinson straight up the middle of the field so if the texans actually ran cover two like they did so much in this game wandale robinson would have split the safety something that we saw a little bit against jacksonville remember we said oh well wandale was open but that's not what the texans did they loaded the line of scrimmage and they brought six guys in on their pressure package. Giants kept six in protection. So that isolated Jalen Petrie in a one-on-one matchup against Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton releases inside. Everybody releases inside. Jalen Petrie goes to work over the top of Derek Stingley Jr. who was in his way. He was going to work over the top of Derek Stingley Jr. But then it was a whip route. So Petrie had to like scramble and get back into position. And I think that was one thing that helped lead to the the missed tackle. That and the fact that Daniel Jones threw it inside because he was hit. And the aiming point that Jalen Petrie took was the outside hip of Darius Slayton. So that was just an egregious miss by the rookie. But I do like that play call whenever it was pressure and it was man coverage because you run that whip with all those inside releases. It's going to force a young kid like Jalen Petrie to think he has to work over the top of something he doesn't have to work over the top of. That's a great point. And I don't even know if I it's it's a mistake, but it's also like he it's kind of got Giants got a little bit lucky if we're going to be honest on it, because the inside placement of that ball, which probably wasn't where the ball was supposed to go. But since he got hit the quarterback, it, it went that way, probably worked in the Giants favor because it allowed Slayton to kind of take that inside step toward uh, in the middle before breaking outside. And regardless, it was an excellent play. And I want to talk a little bit about what you touched on before that, which was 
you know, we expected or we hoped out of the bye week to see more of a traditional drop back pass game from the Giants. You know, you go to the drawing board, you have two weeks to prepare for not only this style of defense, which we know is very zone heavy. It's the old school Lovey Smith cover two, Tampa two, but also just to prepare in general for how to move your offense forward in the second half. And we didn't see that. And I almost wonder, Nick, if they're just at the point, this coaching staff were like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of thing, right? They're like, you know what? We know the matchup. We know we're going against one of the worst run defense in the NFL. We know that 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 we at least have confidence in our defense to hold Davis Mills and that Texans offense from scoring a lot of touchdowns and putting a lot of those types of seven point burgers on the board. So why not just grind this thing out, run the football and try to spring a big one at some point with Barkley? They didn't actually spring anything huge with Barkley, but they did spring some solid chunk gains in the run game and they kept the chains moving and they kept the ball on their side without while burning clock. So I almost wonder if they're at the we're at the point, Nick, where we're not going to see any kind of expansion of the pass game until they're really forced to. Yeah, and that makes sense, I guess, right? Like the Giants were going up against Houston, like we said, terrible run defense. And your best asset is to run the football right now. Ideally, like we've said so many times, Saquon Barkley is the essence of this offense. The offense runs through him. I like the adjustment that this offense has made by bringing in these multiple offensive linemen. It's not something we really saw against Tennessee or against Carolina. We didn't really see it. That's a new thing. Now we saw eight offensive line. That's something that we would have thought Joe Judge and Jason Garrett was doing, but it's working as of right now. So until it's stopped, I'm not going to sit here and bash it, but ideally I would like to, I would hope that this offense is talented enough to evolve their passing attack. Because once you get into the playoffs and <laughs> this Giants team is, is, is a playoff team, they're third in the NFC right now. Like that, that's the reality of the situation for the New York Giants. You're going to need to do more than just give the football to Saquon Barkley 35 times. Like it's, I'm fine with it right here against the Texans in week 10, but we need to figure out a more consistent approach to the passing attack. Cause Daniel Jones completed 13 balls for 197 yards. That's all well and good, but that Darius Slayton catch that's, that's a missed a blatant missed tackle that was taken for 54 yards. You know what I mean? So like right. whenever teams can shut down this rushing attack, it's going to take away from the play action ability, which then how are the Giants going to move the football? So it's just one of those things I'm a little worried about, but it's not like jump off the ship type of worried right now because the Giants are winning freaking football games, and I'm ecstatic about that. Yeah, exactly. And I think at this point, like I said, I just don't feel like they're going to change this until they have to. And there will be a game where they have to at some point. It might come as soon as the Thanksgiving game. Honestly, it's possible it comes as soon as this week. I'll say this about the Lions. They have a horrible defense, but they can move the ball on offense. Jared Goff is playing much better in that system in the second year. And I've always thought this about Goff. He has definite deficiencies. He does not have much escapability. But he can rip the football. He's been able to rip the football since his days at Cal. He doesn't just throw the ball over the top with ball placement. He has velocity. His next, this is a different level of velocity, in my opinion. He's top 10 from a velocity standpoint, from what I've seen from just while he's on, you know, on from an off plat, you know, sorry, on platform within the pocket when he gets his shoulders squared. He's that type of quarterback for sure. But when he does, he rips the ball. He ripped a couple balls today against the Bears that just looked awesome coming off his hand. So I think they will challenge the Giants defense with a lot of these deep overs that have been killing the Giants, that had at times killed the Giants defense when they faced somewhat competent quarterback play. They did not face competent quarterback play today. Two weeks ago, they did against Geno, and Geno made them pay a lot of times. So they will score points, I think, Detroit. So I think we might have to see it, which is ultimately, to me, a good thing, because I think it is possible for the Giants to operate more of a drop-back pass game. Even in this game, I feel like they may have possibly been able to do it. It's hard to know without actually seeing it, right? Like we don't see it for enough of a sample size on a consistent basis, at least per week to know if it actually will come true and they will be able to operate a drop back pass game. 
but I feel like it's still possible. And that brings me to my next point. What were your thoughts on how Daniel Jones performed in this game? I thought Daniel Jones did everything he's asked. It's kind of like the same thing we've been saying about Daniel Jones yep. this entire season. He didn't necessarily have to put the team on his back like he has in, in previous games. There was the second touchdown drive in the second half, so the third overall touchdown drive where he faced two third and sevens. He hit his back foot, found Wondell Robinson in cover two. Wondell Robinson did a great job kind of finding space in between the two middle hook defenders. I thought that was a good play by Wondell. It was also a good play by Daniel Jones. And then he had the deeper pass to Isaiah Hodgins which went for 26 yards. That was a, a good play against, again, cover two. The safeties split the field and they sank to such depth where all the middle hook defenders reacted to like Saquon Barkley and Wondell Robinson in the uh, in the intermediate parts of the field. And then nobody took the space between the safeties and the cover two middle hook defenders. And Isaiah Hodgins was kind of wide open. So it's not necessarily like Daniel Jones had to thread a needle there, but still it was a good read by Daniel Jones. And he's doing everything that, he has to to win this football game, and he also find, found Lawrence Cager on that that little touchdown, which was pretty simple, but it was built off of what? Ah, the play-action passing game. Whenever the Giants align to the boundary in the red zone and they go to hand the football off, if you're an opposing team, don't really fall for it because yeah. it's usually a play-action pass. Yeah, and it was that in that case. And, yeah, I think overall Daniel Jones had a solid game. And, you know, as you said, I don't feel like my opinion changed on him at all. We're not really looking at this that way anyway. I mean, you and I don't do this like every week. Our opinion changes. Here's what we say about Daniel Jones now. This is what he we're just like literally going to take this as a full sample size. When it's all said and done, that's when I'll have my decision on what I would want to do with Daniel Jones if I was the general manager, ultimately speaking. But as far as did this move the needle, anything like that? Not really, but that's not a bad thing either. He wasn't really asked to do much. It's the same cases every week, right? They're not asking him to do much, so he's not really doing anything wrong. Um, and I say he did some good things too. Like you said, and look, the conversion third and seven, I don't want to make too much of it. I'm sure like we can't, I, I just don't want to overinflate it or underinflate it, but it is just the third and, and medium conversion. It's fine. You did a good job. The read, the read to Hodgins was, was a good read. Good, good, fine throw. He was wide open. The Slayton play was all Slayton. I mean, I can give Jones some credit, but at the same time, I'm sure some quarterback coach will look at that and be like, that ball should be out earlier with anticipation. And if, if, um, if, Okay, I would have to watch the play again, but yeah, I don't I know either. I'd have to watch it again too. I think the the reason why it was a little bit delayed was because you had to wait not just for Darius Slayton to get out of his break, but for Isaiah Hodgins, who released inside and like to the top of the numbers, had to release or wait for a Hodgins to get into his release. But I could be wrong there. I would have to kind of no. You could be again. right. I don't remember the play as well either. And if that's the case, then I'm going to credit that to Jones as well. I mean, obviously it's mostly Slayton. Anyone with eyes can see that. But that and he deserves credit, Jones, because he you know held on to the ball and got the ball out there to at least give his receiver a chance to make a play on it. And that's a good play for him. And he had a few other decent plays too. I mean, they really, again, just didn't ask him to do much. Like you said, I mean, the design play to cager in the red zone, good, good pre-snap motion, good design, fine ball, I guess. I don't know. It's like a four yard pass. I don't know. We can, I don't think I have, you know, there's no explanation. There's it is okay. We don't have to have a good or a bad on everything, but I think he played fine. He didn't turn the ball over. That's been a key for Daniel Jones uh, in the past. And it's been a key to his success this season, not turning the football over. So I feel like with Jones, he, you know, it was a fine game. I think the more interesting thing is going to be how this passing attack kind of, I guess I would say evolves moving forward. Now that we, I don't know if it's a definite, but we might be seeing Hodgins in the role that they expected Kenny Galladay to play as the X receiver. And I think he's earned that, even though he was only targeted twice, but he caught both of them for 41 yards. But let's see what he can do. He's a big body who, according to Brian Dable, is very smart. He knows this system. I mean, I'm all about giving this kid playing time if it is over Kenny Galladay right now, just because we haven't seen 
anything at all from Kenny Galladay. And one more point too, just because we're talking about big bodied receiving threats. I find it pretty cool and somewhat fascinating how involved the tight ends are near the red zone. Cause we saw last week, Lawrence Cager get two opportunities. I think near the red zone, we had the one little fake screen to Saquon Barkley fade to Lawrence Cager that where Tanner Hudson was open and Daniel Jones just picked up two yards against Seattle. And now we saw the design play to Cager today against the Houston Texans. Daniel Bellinger, very utilized around the red zone. And where does Mike Kafka come from? He comes from Kansas City. Right. Travis Kelsey. So like I think like it's just kind of cool how we're seeing how involved the tight end position is whenever the Giants get into the red zone. I would like to see a little bit more receiver usage in that area because it seemed like teams like Seattle who were not fooled by it whatsoever. They just shut down Barkley. They shut down the tight ends on these design plays where they're there are second reads, but they're they're really just designed for that tight end. Whenever those plays are shut down, it always seems like the Giants bog down in the red zone. Yeah, you're right. It does seem like when they take away what they what they've been able to do, what they want to do, they've bogged down. They haven't really had too much of a, I guess I should say, alternative plan for it. And that'll be something that can maybe evolve. They get Hodgins involved as a red zone threat, right? Or maybe even find a way to use. And they've done it before, like Wandell Robinson. They found a way in his first game to get him a touchdown in the red zone. Really solid design there. Darius Slayton, I think, can also probably contribute there as well but it will be interesting to see because especially as you talk about like if the Giants are a playoff team and they do make the playoffs and then try to actually make a run and win some games there in the playoffs well they're going to seem to need to be you know perfect in the red zone basically they're going to need a cash in from receivers it's not just going to be this type of game plan which leads me to my next question for you Nick which is that's now two weeks in a row where we didn't see much at all of quarterback keepers from Jones on the zone reads that's something we'll look at the film and see if he made the right decisions on my guesstimation is he did which is also leads me to my next point. We didn't see much of a boot action game. We didn't see much of a get Jones on the run, on the move, have him the option of throw or run on the perimeter. At this point, I think we're, it's fair to say that every defense will probably take away that in their game plan. I think the focus was there for the Seahawks. The Texans probably watched that film and said, look, this worked for Seattle. Why would we not try to do something similar? They're not running the same systems, these teams, but they still can make it a point every week opposing defenses that is to take away this aspect of the Giants offense and now that's two weeks in a row and I'm definitely concerned that the Giants will have to at some point not scrap well I mean it looks like they scrapped it today but at some point maybe evolve into something else as an offense if they want to continue to score yeah I'm excited to get to the all 22 because anytime there was a mesh point where it could be a zone read type of play Daniel Jones just seemed to hand the football off and there were a couple times just off broadcast where I was like should he have kept that there or was he even reading somebody was it always going to go to Saquon Barkley so I'm excited to see that because we know you know week what three through I guess you could say seven or yeah weeks three through six they were all it was all Daniel Jones it was all get Daniel Jones running take advantage of Daniel Jones athletic ability in these last two games we haven't really seen much of that I thought it was because Seattle just absolutely eliminated it and coming out of the bye I thought we were going to see maybe a little bit more but maybe Houston eliminated it too so that's something that you guys will have to check back with us after the all 22 to see exactly what happened we will have all that all 22 up on the YouTube so please enjoy that yeah for sure and I always and I'm also wondering what, with regards to that like in just in general the drop back pass game how much of it I'd love to know we'll never know this we're not you know you'd have to be inside the meeting room the quarterback meeting rooms the coaches meeting room to know this but I would be curious to know how much of their reluctance to kind of actually operate any kind of traditional pass attack 
And you don't even see, like, we don't even have drives where we're, like, in the gun running tempo and, like, just throw, throw, throw. We don't even have, the, like, not even during the two-minute drill or anything. You can see every two-minute drill starts with, like, basically the, the idea of let's try to break something off with our normal offense. And if we do, maybe we can then go into some, you know, tempo yeah. and no huddle. But I'm curious, you know, just how much of that has to do with the three factors and what percentage for each. Quarterback, offensive line, receivers. I would guesstimate that, at least based on what we've seen lately, uh, a big chunk of that has to be on the offensive line and their thoughts on what's going on right now with the protection. Because earlier in the season, we saw the Giants use a ton of tight ends and running backs to chip and then release to help them pass pro. But recently, as they kind of moved away and they've not, you know, after the injuries at right tackle and left guard with Bredesen and Neal, I feel like that is playing the biggest factor here. No Bredesen, no Neal. They don't really fully trust Azudu in pass protection, I don't think. I don't think they really fully trust Tyree Phillips in pass protection either. I think you're right. And I think Mark Lewinsky, John Feliciano, Joshua Zudu, those are all solid run defenders, maybe even good run defenders or, or blockers, I should say. Why am I saying defenders? So why not run the football in those situations? Why are you even going to put Daniel Jones in a situation where you're going to drop him back and he could take a 10-yard loss? You know, right. work the play action, have those linebackers bite up, and then find that intermediate crossing route, have all those defensive linemen play the run first before they get into their pass rushes. It slows the pass rush down and it takes pressure off of your offensive line. So that to me makes sense, but it sucks, man. Last year, this offensive line was so bad and it's significantly upgraded now, but I'm still a little weary at times whenever the giants drop back into a five man protection package, just the offensive lineman blocking, because I think this giants offensive line struggles to deal with, I guess you should say, power in the middle. And Tyree Phillips just is uh, he's, he's, he's a replacement type of player right now. We're still waiting to get Evan Neal back. And I'm hoping Evan Neal can progress his game once he comes back from this injury. But as of right now, we are not seeing a traditional pass at traditional passing attack. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you like feeling good, give Liquid Death a try. I've tried it, and I got to say, it's refreshing. So go get Liquid Death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. Please make sure you add the slash Big Blue. That would be excellent. Liquid death, murder your thirst.
Yeah, you nailed that, Nick. And I think ultimately we'll find out what this offense can be when they're fully healthy. That's probably the best factor here. But it's interesting to see how they kind of mix and match. I thought this was interesting. Shout out to Doug Analytics here who put this note out there. He said offensive snap counts that were of note against the Houston Texans. Lawrence Cager led tight ends in snaps with 66% snaps. I don't think anybody saw that one coming. Wondell Robinson was second in wide receiver snaps. Isaiah Hodgins just claimed, dude, played 43 snaps, 63% of the snaps. <laughs> effectively just coming in full time after Galladay got benched for his drop. And so the Giants also had, according to Doug Analytics, shout out to him. He's on Twitter. You can find him 13 snaps where they had at least one extra offensive lineman. That was almost one fifth of all of their offensive snaps. And 12 of 13 of those snaps were run plays. What does that tell you? They're like, we remember we used to bash the Giants early in early uh, in the Garrett era when he would just like bring in like the two blocking receivers, motion one toward the line of scrimmage and just run the ball out of like 12 or 13. And we were just like, dude, who the hell thinks this is going to be anything but a run? And they would go for nothing, one or two yards. Now they're doing the same thing. They're bringing in these extra offensive linemen. They're running it on 12 or 13 scenarios where they do bring in the heavy packages like that. And they're actually converting and they're actually creating some yardage on the ground. Saquon Barkley, I thought, was excellent today, man. Some of the vision cuts he had, yeah. some of the yards after contact that he that he put on display, the power, the pad level, the decisiveness, man. Like he did he had some excellent runs, but it's just interesting to me that like last year and two years in the past two years when they tried to do something similar, it just didn't work. And generally speaking, you don't want them to do it. But right now it's one of those, it's not broke. Don't fix it. It's working. Like they're like, we can create some offense today if we just bring in Nick Gates and put him in motion and just grind it and like have him block that man who's coming down to stop and penetrate that behind the scrimmage line of scrimmage. It was that third and short and just have it go. So I thought that was interesting. On the flip side of that, though, when it comes to the offensive line, it goes to what you said, which is the one time the Giants did try one of those traditional drop. I think it was early in the game, maybe a third and long. Boom. Jones was sacked immediately. Yeah, it's definitely something they're going to have to work on. But you're right. If it's not broke. There's really no reason to fix it right now, especially yeah. against an opponent like the Houston Texans. It's funny, though, man, seeing eight freaking offensive linemen out there. You got Nick Gates Crazy. operating as the sniffer with like Matt Pear as the big offensive lineman. Good to see Matt Pear back out there and healthy and Nick Gates. So uh, from that standpoint, it's kind of cool. Not It's not surprising at all that they went with this approach, but we hoped to see something maybe a little bit different that they could carry into other games in terms of that traditional passing attack, as we've seen. But hopefully against Detroit, they can um, they can develop that because I think you're right. They're going to need to to score points against the Detroit Lions. I think they'll be able to run the football pretty well. Detroit's not the best run defense by any stretch of the imagination, but what Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown can do is a lot different than what True. Davis Mills and and that offense of the Houston Texans can do. So Great point. should be interesting. Yeah, I think it's it'll be interesting to watch this game. And I'm very excited to see it because I think ultimately it's not going to be some insanely high scoring game like the Bears Lions was today. I think whether that finished 31, 30, 61 total points. I just don't run the Giants just don't play games that end with a lot of points. I think I, that's as I was watching the game today. I was like, the Giants are moving the all pretty well all first half, and the half ends with like no points between the two teams. It's like seven three at one point Giants. And I'm like, there's so much more offense right now from both sides that it should be seven three right now. But it's how Giants games go. They grind clock. They, you know, they force the other team into field goals a lot in the red zone. And at times the Giants have also bogged down themselves in the red zone. But let's flip it to the other side of the ball. This was well, another. I, I wanted yeah, to say too, man, like I get why Brian Dable was so pissed, man, during the second half. Like, I don't know yes. if you watched the broadcast, but they like they showed him on the sidelines, just ripping into the offensive line and ripping into players. But 
after a really impressive first drive, man, you go out there and you shoot yourself in the foot after a three and out on your second drive. And then on your, what would it be? Your fifth drive of the game. That's the one where Kenny Galladay drops the second and five pass. And then Tanner Hudson gets tackled at the sticks right. on a third and five. And then they have to punt the football. It's like, that is maddening because you're allowing the Houston Texans right back into the game. But despite that, I was like, ah, the giants are fine, which is a testament to the New York giants right now, because True. they are a good enough football team to where they can play like absolute ass in the first half. And I'm still not really overly worried that the Houston Texans are going to make them pay, which last season, if you were to say that, we'd be like, oh no, the Giants are one of the worst teams in the league. So it's still a huge leap in the right direction. Great point. They would have no chance last season to be able to win a football game where they have that false start that they, whatever it was that they turn into, you know, now you don't get, you don't get the same amount of points on that or you didn't get any points on that. Sorry. Then you also have the, um, like you said, the, the, the Kenny Galladay drop that's again, slows down the momentum of a drive. So the sack on third down the one yeah. because of Wondell Robinson, like all, to, the, the Jack Anderson false start. And then that Wondell Robinson play that ended up turning into a sack a couple plays later, like the giants were in field goal range for both of that. Like you removed six points, potentially more from the board because you were undisciplined on offense. And that is not what the New York giants have been throughout this entire season. So it's good that they were able to bounce back in the second half and then mount two touchdown drives to start the second half. Yep. Exactly. Let's flip it to the other side of the ball real quick here on the defense side of the ball. I want to start with a few standout snap count notes again from Doug Adelinic. Shout out, Doug. This is great stuff from you. One, Nick, we'll start with here. I'll, I'll, I'll do them one by one and we'll talk about them all. So we'll start with one Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams. They played at least 90% of the snaps each. I mean, this was another game where they just said, F it. We don't, we're relying on these two. We need these two in there and they make a big difference. Like Dexter Lawrence, despite playing 90% of the snaps is producing pressures in the fourth quarter play after play. He's he was a low Kenyon green who was a first round pick could not block him. So even when he's not like we talked earlier in the season, Oh, the giants have had so much success with Dexter Lawrence because they've moved him at times over the nose. And he's so overwhelming for a lot of these centers. Well, guess what? Now he's also, and this is not the first play, but he's done this throughout the season. He's also getting immediate pressures against guards in the NFL. when He's not lined over, the, over the center there as the one. And that means look, like you said earlier, he's doing a great job using his hands to create to create separation from the offensive lineman and then create pressure on the quarterback. And Leonard Williams also looked excellent out there. He's not playing at the same level as a, as a Dexter Lawrence right now, but having them both on the field is obviously a big factor in a game like this. And the Giants did not hesitate to have them play all those snaps. Yeah, Leonard Williams, there were a couple plays where he just like tossed offensive linemen to the side on these Damian Pierce like inside runs and Leonard Williams was right there to wrap him up on the one fumble that Damian Pierce ended up having. That was a Kayvon Thibodeau and, and Leonard War uh, Williams kind of sandwiching Damian Pierce and Jordan Akins. And then the ball just kind of squeaked out somehow and Jalen Smith jumped on top of it. But I am very impressed with what both of those individuals are doing and the one sack that Dexter Lawrence had, bro. How he used his hands. He like against the center, Quisenberry. He lifts Quisenberry's hand up in the air, and then he uses his other hand to just basically judo chop around, and then just land the rip move through that same shoulder that he just lifted up. So he just rips right through, and then gets right into the pocket to get a half sack, along with Leonard Williams on Davis Mills. Yep, he nailed it. A couple other interesting notes here from a snap count standpoint. We got our early answer as to what the Giants are going to do to replace Xavier McKinney. For this game, we saw Pinnock kind of come in as, you know, the the, the guy's going to play a little bit for the Giants in McKinney's absence. He actually had a one and a half tackles for loss and a sack. So he actually made big plays 
it, uh, over his few snaps. But then we also had the bigger deal here, the bigger story. Dane Belton played every snap today. So Dane Belton is the clear winner, obviously, of the McKinney injury. He's a player who now they trust in every snap role. And I thought, you know, I haven't seen the tape yet, Nick. And I know we, we both haven't seen the tape, obviously. But as far as broadcast-wise, Dane Belton played a pretty good game as a full-time player. I felt like he looked solid out there. I think there were a couple times where I was like, oh man, he took a bad angle there. I think on the one long Damian Pierce run, he took a bad angle and kind of had to retract and Julian Love ended up tracking Damian Pierce down. But overall, stepping into the shoes of Xavier McKinney, coming away with an interception in that game and playing all those snaps, I, I came away impressed. But again, once we watch the All-22, we'll, we'll, really, um, we'll really get our opinion on that straight. Yep, without a doubt. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, 81% of the snaps, he's becoming that type of player for the Giants. He's been this way for a few weeks now. He's played kind of in that range. Henry Mondo, 22 snaps, which were twice as many as Justin Ellis. This was another good note that I thought was interesting. But the big one for me is Tay Crowder, two snaps all game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, a, it was the Micah McFadden show out there. And McFadden, there were a couple plays where I felt like I was like, oh, I think that was on him. Again, we'll confirm on the yeah. defense of all 22, but there weren't any egregious mistakes. It didn't seem like going against a team that wanted to run the football. Yeah, and it's just crazy to me that th this has kind of been the trajectory for Dick Rowder. I didn't expect this to happen. We go from that, what, that Jacksonville game, which was obviously, you know, the worst game by the Giants defense by far this season. On film, it was by far. It may not have been in the scoreboard, but on film, it was by far. And so many changes happened after that game. They looked at the film, and immediately, they moved in Jalen Smith to the mic role, and they took Dick Rowder out of a role that had kept him, you know, at least from the start of the season, as the main linebacker, the guy was playing most of the snaps. Then they shift him over. They kind of mix in McFadden, but you know it wasn't a full benching at that point. Now two snaps for Tay Crowder. That's a benching. Like that's a Kenny Galladay level benching. And they're obviously made the decision, at least for this game, to to give Mike and McFadden a chance. Now I'm sure, like you said, we'll look at the film. If they feel, we'll we'll make our own uh, obviously assessments, but. If the Giants feel like McFadden was out of place, like you mentioned, or just made mental mistakes that they feel like could hurt them in a future game or something like that, I wouldn't be surprised to see Crowder back out there for the same kind of snap share that he had last week against Seattle or two games ago, last game, two games ago against Seattle, a mix and match with McFadden. But I don't think he's ever returning to that micro at this point this season. I don't, I don't think they would make a change like that and then continue with it out of the bye week when they had all that time to evaluate and then decide we're going to move back unless there's an injury. The 46-yard screen pass to Jordan Akins, I think that was one where Michael McFadden might have been a little bit late to realize what was going on and it allowed Laramie Tunsil to kind of climb and create the seal, which allowed Jordan Akins, who is like, what, 31 years old or something like that, maybe 30 years is old. That old, Jordan Akins? I don't know, man. He's been Former around giant. for a while. Former Giant, Jordan. Former Giant, great. I mean, yeah, he, he really dominated on the third team preseason. Uh, <laughs> all, he couldn't even earn first team snaps on the weakest position that the New York Giants had at the time. But here he is catching 72 yards against the New York Giants Ugh. in a week 10 game. But I think Micah McFadden was out of position on that one specific play. We'll have to wait and see. I'm uh, excited to watch the Micah McFadden tape. And I think that was one of our bold predictions. Or That's not even bold, though, in my opinion. But that was one of our predictions was that I might have even said it on a podcast, Dan, that Micah McFadden out of the bye week was going to steal the starting job from Tay Crowder. Now, I had no idea that that was going to actually happen. If you were to ask me like three weeks ago, I probably yeah. said no because Micah McFadden was benched and he wasn't playing all that right. well. He wasn't really playing at all. But it ended up kind of happening here with Tay Crowder only earning two snaps.
it 100% happened. And again, we don't know if this will, will stick or anything like that. But for now, it happened. And and this combination, I think I thought the Giants defense played fantastic today overall. I mean, yeah. look, Davis Mills ended up throwing for 300 yards, which is a wild stat to even imagine, considering if you watch the game, you'd be like, did he really get to 300? Who even, because Brandon Cooks didn't even have that many yards. Like, who even had the yards? You just mentioned, <laughs> like, 72 to Jordan Aikens. There was a bunch of just, like, random Chris Moore had a bunch of yards for them. Chris, but yeah. a lot of this was, like, just straight up end of game type crap, like where the Giants are already up 21 10 and they're just like kind of letting the clock bleed out. There's seven minutes left. They don't really care if they move the ball down the field. Then we get to the red zone. Boom, they tighten up. And the same thing happened twice on two red zone trips for the Texans. One, they had to kick a field goal. The other, they threw the interception. So I feel like a big majority that, because I think they only had like 39 yards passing in the first half, the Texans, or 37, one of those two. Maybe it was 35 yards passing in the first half. So just like an explosion of 250, 270 in the second half. But again, most of it on these drives where it didn't, to me, really matter. But I will say this, if you take that away and just don't look at the passing yards, total yards or mills, I really thought the Giants defense played fantastic today. I thought they dominated defensively up front, which is now becoming to me more of a trend look they did it against seattle i know it doesn't feel that way because of how the game ended but the reality of that situation is geno smith manipulated the pocket through dimes you guys we have the film up on big blue banter youtube page you can see what geno did to make things happen but kenneth walker did not do anything until the end of the game when the defense was worn out after richie james fumble and i feel like this is the second game in a row where they have williams and Dexter Lawrence on the field at the same time. And it makes such a massive difference for just winning the trench battle up front. You just have those two bulls in the middle and you just can't move these guys. You can't do a lot of the things you want to do in the run game. As we saw with Damian Pierce without when those guys are on the field. And I felt like from a pressure standpoint as well, the giants were getting there a lot more often. There were multiple sacks in this game against Davis mills. There were plays that led to bad throws and interceptions. So I thought it was overall just an excellent game for the giants. Even I know I get it. Look, the matchup isn't that tough, but we've seen Damian Pierce beat people this year. We saw the Texans move the ball decently against the Eagles. So I felt like overall, this was a great game for the defense. I would agree. Yeah, Davis mills was sacked four times and he probably could have been sacked even more. He had the one that was an incomplete pass, but it looked like it could have been a fumble. I think it was initially ruled a fumble on the field. And then I think there was another play like that. So realistically, the Giants were hitting Davis Mills, pressuring Davis Mills and getting him off of his spot to to basically stifle that Houston Texans offense. And in terms of Damian Pierce, 17 carries for 94 yards with that 44-yard long rush. Right. That's average of five and a half. So it looks good. But without that 44-yard run, it didn't really seem like Damian Pierce was getting much going on the ground against a Giants linebacking core that was pretty freaking bad. And I think the one long rush, it might have been the 44-yard one, don't quote me on it though, was a power gap run, which is something that the Giants have struggled with. But the zone runs, man, these New York Giants are pretty damn good stopping that type of stuff. And the duo runs, like they don't get fooled. It's, it's the eye candy that gets the linebackers out of position. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. We 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 hopefully by now, oh, those of us in the podcast know that. Look, this is a giant team that struggles with power gap, struggles with some pin pull stuff to the outside, especially perimeter runs. But oh, up the middle zone, any of that type of stuff, they can they can handle and they can handle really well. On the flip side, it's interesting. I thought a lot of the Giants' big, biggest success in the run game was like some when they used power gap and when they had pin pull and they got Barkley to the outside. So you know, just yeah. an interesting dichotomy there for sure. O'Shane Zimenez, how many snaps did he play according to our guy, Dougie? Uh, he didn't. He only did a couple notes on snap counts. I don't think the full snap counts are out there. That's why I kind of looked to Doug here to kind of give us that insight. But it was just like the key things. I, so we don't know O'Shane snaps, at least not. Because I just like every time he was out there, it seemed like he was making some plays. Yes. Seems like he was getting some pressure, getting some hits. I just feel like I know he's not a starter 
on this defense, but I like having him healthy in a rotational role because I think he can have an impact and he can come up with plays like stripping somebody at the end of the game or yeah, sacking yeah. Aaron Rodgers or just dropping into coverage to eliminate throwing angles he's or throwing windows, I should say. So it's just somebody that I, I wanted to see how many snaps he played. But we don't have that information right now. Yeah, we'll get that uh, for the next show. But yeah, definitely agree on that. His return was definitely a welcome one. Overall, just a good performance on defense. A Dory, maybe a Moreau, the safeties in the position they played. Love. You didn't see too much mistakes from the linebackers. Pressure was pretty good. Run defense was pretty good. So I have a lot of good things to say about defense. I thought this was an interesting note from Dan Duggan. I don't know if you noticed this, Nick, but it's something I was noticing during the game. I kept seeing Daniel Jones making all these like rampant checks pre-snap on, a, on yeah. a lot of plays that were just run plays. And he's just checking into different runs or checking in, maybe shifting the, the, the blocking. And then what I found out after the game was, according to Jones, this is from Dan Duggan, by the way, shout out Dan Duggan. According to Daniel Jones, those were actually run checks that were called into the headset from Mike Kafka. Who I, who I think, you know, I get, what I would think is it's kind of an advantage for the Giants to have him up in the booth, Kafka. A lot of people debated preseason, oh, do you want Kafka on the sideline? Do you want him in the booth? If he's in the booth, he has that all-22 angle on the game. So he's probably seeing some of those shifts and some of the different alignments from the Texan second and third level defenders that he can kind of give Jones a better, you know, get Jones and the Giants into better run plays. Yeah, more than likely. Like we said at the top of the show, the Giants have a varied rushing attack. It's like, it's not like, oh, they just run power gap or, oh, they're an outside zone team, which is something that has proliferated around the NFL. Like they can run outside zone, stretch zone. They can hit you with duo inside zone. They can run power gap. They can run counter. They can do a lot of different things with their rushing attack, which is excellent when you're a team that wants to run the football 35 times to a player like Saquon Barkley and bring eight offensive linemen off the bench and slap them on the field. Yeah, without a doubt. And just definitely just a little nice wrinkle there. I feel like they can get a little edge when they're coming from the, especially like in a game like this where you're home against a Texans team that isn't traveling well fans wise. So you can keep things quiet on offense and you can actually get those run checks into Jones and not have it be all confusing and not have him be like, what the hell is he trying to say? And then you're running out of time. It's panicky. At times, you probably don't want to overcomplicate things. Like if you're in Seattle, for example, and that kind of noise, you're probably not going to be doing things like that. But at home, you got Kafka calling in from the booth. Everything's kind of quiet. Jones can hear it. And so I think that, you know, can definitely help the Giants get into better run calls. And this look, it's a run first team. They want to run the ball early and often all the time. So that's something that can definitely help the Giants. Think about what we thought was going to happen when Brian Dable came in. I remember talking like, yeah, we're going to see more 10 personnel. Like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of bad. No, no. The, the, the Giants and this coaching staff, this coaching staff is smart. They're going to go with what works. And if running the football works, they're going to run the freaking football. So I applaud that. Now, whenever the time comes where the, that does not work anymore, which it hasn't been often this season, we're going to have to see the adjustments to the passing attack. And we've seen Jones step up. In, in big situations throughout the year. Let's hope he can do that moving forward. Yeah, exactly. And and another game where the Giants recipe kind of comes into play here, right? The Giants recipe, don't turn the ball over. Texans had two turnovers. Giants had zero. Win the turnover battle. And generals, generally speaking, like, yes, Bill Parcells, one of the best coaches of all time. He He's, I mean, he's spoken about this at, at length, at, you know, over the course of time. And same thing by Bill Belichick, by the way. He hasn't put put these uh put put words to it because he doesn't talk that much about these kind of things but you can just tell by the way he benches guys who fumble and things like that 
you win the turnover battle, you have a much, much, much better chance of winning the game. The Giants are now that kind of team. They're the type of team that wants to win the turnover battle every week and is doing an excellent job of winning the turnover battle. They win it 2-0 to oh in this one. Third downs, the Giants converted 50%. Texans only 30% of their third downs. Another factor in this Giants team, why they keep winning games. Well, the defense gets off the field on third downs. Red zone, similar situation. Texans just one of six in the red zone there. So the Giants, once again, are just a clear-cut team that has a has an MO, right? They run the football. They don't turn it over. They try to get explosive plays with Saquon Barkley. They try to use Jones as a runner. It didn't happen today. That's okay. On the defense side of the ball, they limit you on third downs. They stop you in the red zone, and they turn the ball over while not turning the ball over on offense. So... It's a solid recipe, man. Like we've seen, this is pretty similar. It's not the same team, but it's pretty similar to the recipe the 49ers had last year that made it all the way to the NFC Championship. It's not the same. They don't really have the same level of explosive. Like you can say Barkley's as explosive as Debo Samuel, but Debo Samuel can be used in a lot of different ways. The offensive line is not quite as good as what Sam Franz was last year, um, I don't think. And most importantly, probably they don't have as much talent around like the one playmaker, the Samuel, the Barkley. But it is a very, very, very similar, uh, a very similar blueprint to what the 49ers had last year. That's an interesting comparison, the 49ers. And they yeah. went to the NFC Championship game. And it's just crazy, man, that not long ago we were all like, oh, yeah, you know, the Giants, yeah, whatever. They'll probably suck. And, and here we are, the New York Giants, third in the NFC. Two games in hand to play the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. And the Philadelphia Eagles are undefeated. They play on Monday Night Football. We'll see what happens against Washington. Hopefully, Washington can upset the Eagles, similar to what the Green Bay Packers just did to the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, no doubt. And it was good to see the Cowboys lose a game. That was an excellent thing we got to take away from this week. Great win for the Packers. We were rooting oh, hard. Too, man. Weren't they up by like two touchdowns? Two touchdowns, 28 to 14. Uh, blew Jeez. a big lead. Dak. Had some great moments, had some really bad moments. Two of his interceptions were pretty gross looking. Uh, yeah, and look, the, the the Packers maybe had a blueprint, I guess, for trying to, because that's the first team I've seen successfully really attack that Cowboys defense and, and create points off that Cowboys defense. Maybe that's something the Giants can look at and try to uh, mimic and duplicate. We'll see. Obviously, that's not no guarantee. They don't, they don't, uh, they haven't yet kind of created those kind of explosive plays in the past game, but it could come and we'll see what happens. But it opens the door for an interesting Thanksgiving game because now we could be looking. The Giants take care of business against the Lions, Nick. We could be looking at a situation where Cowboys, I believe, have a difficult game next week. I think it's at the Vikings next week. I'm pretty sure it's Dallas at Minnesota. So if Dallas loses, is that correct? I, I think so. I think they yeah. said that on the telecast. I don't so have the schedule in front of me, though. Well, if Dallas loses that game and the Giants take care of business against the Lions, that Thanksgiving game becomes a super big one because if the Giants win that Thanksgiving game, it puts them in a really good position to challenge for that five seed. And why does that five seed matter? Well, there's a chance if you win that five seed, you could if the if the Bucks and it looks like the Bucks kind of maybe righted the ship today, but if the Bucks start to collapse again or if they get injuries, whatever it is, and they start to play bad football again, you could potentially see the Falcons win that division and there's no better matchup for the Giants in the first round of this playoffs than the Falcons. The Falcons are a team the Giants should and can beat. They might win that division because it's so ugly, but at least that puts them in a possibility to face that five seed there and it also keeps them away from the Eagles if the Eagles are the one seed. There's a lot of good factors in potentially taking that five seed uh, if they can, but it's just interesting to see it all. It will be interesting to see it all unfold, obviously, and definitely a big, big, day for the Giants. They move up in the NFC East standings. There's still only two games out of the Eagles, by the way, for first place. 
the Vikings do host the Cowboys next week, and the Vikings also play on Thanksgiving against the Patriots. Dallas obviously plays on Thanksgiving. The Lions play on Thanksgiving, so it's not like the Giants really um, are at a disadvantage because both those teams will be on a short week in the subsequent week after that because the Lions, for whatever reason, still always play a Thanksgiving game. No, nah, that's a tradition. We got to keep it, Nick. There's ah. no for whatever reason. They should play, no? I mean, like I get the whole tradition thing, but like there comes a point like like I always hearken back to the argument of the MLB where people are like, oh, the the National League, they they you know, the pitchers, they they hit it's tradition. I'm like, yeah, well, it's a stupid tradition. I'm sorry. Like, I think it's a dumb tradition. I think that baseball and I'm not even a big baseball fan, but I think it has evolved to the point where you can extend batters careers by opening that up, which the MLB did luckily. But I have so many like these fundamentalist like MLB fans like nah it's a tradition to you know he's a 60 million dollar a year pitcher let's throw him up there to hit even though he doesn't want to do that yeah that sounds freaking great like it just never made any sense to me I always freaking hated it I'm sure I'm probably gonna get feedback from that one but that was dumb <laughs> you might get some haters it's always possible but we'll wrap it up there Nick anything else on this game actually before we wrap it up I don't want to cut you off if you had something else no no actually this was uh kind of a straight to the point, boring type of game, but you we'll know, take it though, point. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay right now. Look, we're just trying to win football games, get to the playoffs, and at any point, the Giants can click on offense. We don't know if it's a there's no there's no guarantee that won't happen, especially as they get healthier and bring back Neil and Bradison. So we'll wait for that moment. I'm excited to see where it comes forward. I'm excited. I said this from the start, Nick. I'll I'll end it on this. We'll talk more about this this week, so we don't have to talk too much about it now. But I said like a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, that circle the Lions game. I am most excited for that game this season because I really feel like that's the game where the Giants pass offense can come alive. Lions are playing a little bit better on defense lately from a pass event standpoint, uh, be, albeit versus the Packers. And then the the Bears today didn't really give up too much in the pass game. It was mostly Justin Fields with his legs. But that's a defense that's going to play so much man coverage. That's a defense that's going to do things that are going to allow the Giants to potentially hit some big plays. And and the last time the Giants played the Lions, it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same defensive system. It was Matt Patricia, but it was 2019 during Jones's rookie system. Sorry, season. And despite it not being the same system, it was still a man heavy system. Patricia just simply ran man coverage, like he just ran it all the time. And Daniel Jones had his one of his best games of his career in that game. He was throwing up passes to Darius Slayton that were touchdowns. He was beating man coverage. He was taking chances that he didn't normally take down the field. So I'm excited to see this pass game. I know I said it about Houston. Maybe it would open up after the bike, but I think this is a really good opportunity against the Lions. I think you might be right. The team that runs the most man coverage, according to cover one at least, is the New York Giants before this week. But the Lions are fifth. So that could open up some opportunities for Daniel Jones, who can run the football if you ever catch the Lions and man exactly. coverage and nothing's there. Because that's something that the Giants have used. Anytime it's third down or second down, there's no quarterback spy on Daniel Jones. Drop back to pass. Nothing's there. Just use your legs, Daniel. So maybe Daniel can get back on track with that. Exactly. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in to the Big Boob Andrew podcast. Keep it locked and loaded this week. There is a possibility that the All-22 film breakdowns will be a day later than typical uh, this week. Just scheduling issues. Uh, I have to come into the city. I have to do things for work, so I have to kind of move off the normal timeline. Now, I still am going to try to grind the film as much as I normally would, but if I, if I can't get to a point in the film where I want to be, Nick and I are never going to compromise the quality of those podcasts just to have it a day early. So we'll see what happens there, but keep it, keep an eye on that. It might be a little bit later than usual. Otherwise typical move forward, carry on this week. We are going to try to get, I know a lot of people asked about the preview this week. We are going to get a preview this week. I have to find someone for the lions. We didn't do a great job. Uh, we, 
I know Lions yeah. people. Okay. I don't know Nick knows Lions people. There we yeah. go. No one knows Texans people. Nick, and we don't have any Texas people in our Rolodex. In the role in the online Rolodex, we don't have any. This is my computer people. Hey, computer people, go find me somebody from the Lions or the Texans. Get me a beat writer who knows his stuff, who can talk film with us. But we'll have a preview. We'll do another mailbag, things of that nature. So keep it locked and loaded. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon.